trust. Mm -hmm. uh, just over, over index on trust from day one. Uh, default position with your teammates has to be extraordinary trust. If you don't have that, then you've, you've undermined the keystone. Um, mm -hmm. You can't build a distributed asynchronous team without a strong lattice work of trust. Hey there, Powder Cake fans. Nick here from the Powder Cake team, and this is episode 121 of Powder Cake Igniting Startups, the show for entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators building remarkable tech companies in areas outside of Silicon Valley. Today, we're going to be looking at an interview that I had the opportunity of hosting at last year's Unmet 2019 conference in Denver, Colorado. There, I had the opportunity to speak with Ben Lyon, the founder and CEO of Hover, an Android API platform that enables developers to integrate with any mobile money service worldwide. And while being Hover's founder and CEO, Ben is also an entrepreneur in residence for Caribou Digital's Digital Financial Services Innovation Lab, or DFS Innovation Lab, where he's responsible for sourcing and supporting innovative financial technology startups throughout South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa, and in some cases, even building them from scratch. Prior to joining Caribou Digital, Ben helped co-found Capo Capo, the first merchant aggregator and merchant cash advance provider in the mobile money industry, which now serves thousands of merchants throughout East Africa. This interview has a lot of great insights to the tech scene in East Africa, and it was really interesting to hear how Ben's work is really changing lives and providing opportunity to people in the region there. So let's get started. So, Ben, thank you for joining us today on Powder Keg Igniting Startups. Thanks for having me. Of course. And Clay uh, from Stout Street is here as well to help me facilitate the conversation. But Ben, I really wanted to start off with um, really how you got into entrepreneurship because I think everyone gets into that in some way. There's some spark that to be an entrepreneur, you have to be there. You have to be, you know, the right kind of person to be able to put up with that. And so, what is it that got you into it? What was that moment or spark? Yeah. Um, I ask myself that question a lot, actually. Uh, so I, uh, I graduated 2009 with a liberal arts degree. Not a great year uh, to have a liberal arts degree. Um, and was looking for work originally for the U.S. government. Uh, and I, I moved to D.C. I had gone to college in, in Memphis. I moved to Washington, D.C. And for a whole year, was just living with my grandparents, looking for work anywhere, just applying to everything. Zero percent hit rate. Uh, and... Uh, Literally after about a year of that, it's just, it's, I'm going kind of crazy. Uh, and so during this time to kind of keep myself sane, I'd been playing around with, uh, I had done some work in East Africa during college. I'd studied uh, mm -hmm. microfinance and economics, and I was really interested in kind of financial inclusion as it relates to fintech and had seen that pretty early on, not from the genesis, but pretty early on as an industry. Um, and so while I was, you know, looking for work originally, I was just studying this and I got so fascinated with it that eventually kind of threw up my hands and said, this path, this path is not working for me. Uh, I met two guys on Twitter. Don't normally recommend that route for co-founders, but it actually worked really well. Uh, and uh, we we founded my first uh, our first business together, Copo Copo, uh, which was a merchant acquiring company in Kenya. I moved to Kenya in November 2010. And one of those guys I met on Twitter that co-founded a, a company with uh, became you know, the best man in my wedding. And so it kind of worked out. That's awesome. That's really cool. And so you said then you're, you know, after the crash and all of that, you're not finding your job, you start this company. How is it then that from there you get to where you are now with Hover? Obviously you said you went to Kenya. Is that where this came from then? Yeah. 
Yeah, so this is, um, I'm now about 10 years into kind of uh, fintech across sub-Saharan Africa. That's, that's mm -hmm. East Africa in particular is where I feel kind mm -hmm. of most um, capable and have the most network. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, the, that was five years living in Kenya and then came back and worked for an accelerator where we were investing in, in fintech companies in sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia. It was actually part of the GAN network, which is how we met these guys. Mm -hmm. um, and what, what helped me with that was to see, you know, we had this really acute pain point in our first company, uh, which was if you were a developer uh, trying to build on top of the local payment systems in your market in sub-Saharan Africa, it's like pulling teeth and putting back in without anesthetic. <laughs> it's brutal. Uh, oh, and man. we had a venture-backed company. We had a great team. Uh, and it would still take us over a year to integrate with a single network in a single country. And this is in a, in a fragmented continent, 50-plus countries, thousands of banks, um, hundreds of different telcos. Each one of them is using a different server, different platform. Very few, less than you can count on one hand, have APIs. And so developers in these markets literally can't build for their, the world around them. Wow. And that was kind of the grievance that you know we experienced in the first company, Copacopo. I saw it from the investors' perspective in DFS Lab and saw that this was really a, you know, we'd zoomed out to 30,000 feet and just seeing the same thing everywhere. And so Hover is a response to that, which is um, we see closed telcos as an impediment to the open internet. We believe the cost of, of not having this infrastructure is the preclusion of local innovation, and that's not the world that we think should exist. Uh, so we've built a technology that kind of short circuits um, these fragmented systems and just gives developers an over-the-top solution for everything that works today. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And so then, what uh, what is it then that for Hover, if I guess who who is your market like that you're working with? Is it the developers then, or is it you know the innovators? What what does that model look like for you? Yeah. So we sell to two segments: um, startups and, and enterprises. Uh, we're always targeting the developer as our customer. Uh, and so all of our content marketing, all of our targeting, all of the communities we're plugging into is about really helping that developer and getting becoming a trusted partner to them. Uh, so our enterprise strategy isn't go to the CEO and come down. It's really incept up, kind of like Salesforce. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, uh, we've had our first... Um, just an example of that. We had an engineer find us at the largest telco in Kenya uh, and then start using us. And now that's being incepted into the, into the whole organization. Okay. Uh, and so we're always focused on just the developer has a problem. This is a really hard painkiller problem. They can't, there's not a substitute for us. And to build what we've built takes two years of just brute force device compatibility. Uh, so they can't do this without that two-year desert, we call yeah. it. So once they see that we're the option, there's no substitute. Awesome. And so then I would think that managing this team when you're in Kenya and here in the United States, what does managing this team look like? What does your team look like in general? Yeah, uh, we are a distributed asynchronous team. Uh, and that has a lot of meaning and import and requires uh, the founders and, and the CEO to really focus. So I'm, I'm the CEO of this company. My main job is to make sure that we are functioning as a distributed asynchronous team. Uh, and that requires that um, we decentralize decision-making uh, to the greatest extent we can. Uh, so I have teammates in Nairobi who have tremendous autonomy to make decisions because they know kind of the broad parameters. They, you know, mm -hmm. to, to make that happen, we have to be really clear about what are our targets, what's the profile of our customer, how are we going to sell to them, what do we do and what don't we do, what do we value and what are we aiming for. Um, and uh, I, I find that that's worked really well for us because we did it from the very beginning. 
Uh, you see great examples like Zapier's now at 50 million plus in, in annual recurring revenue, fully distributed team, Octomatic, which runs WordPress, I think, is, mm -hmm. is fully distributed, GitLab, uh, Stripe's, uh, Stripe's sixth office is remote. You know, it's kind of 2019, this can be done now. Mm -hmm. um, and for a founder or a, or a CEO, it's just, it's all about, um, you must define the operating principles in advance. You must communicate often and, and seek alignment constantly. My, my whole job is just alignment. Mm -hmm. So then what advice would you give the founder when they're, they're looking to move to a more distributed team or maybe have more of a remote culture? Um, how do you, I know you kind of said how to build that, but you know, having alignment, but what does it look like when you're hiring those people? How do you set those expectations and make sure that the, you can say that you're aligned all you want, but how does that actually function? How do you actually make that happen? Yeah. So the proof's in the pudding, <laughs> you know, so, uh, we, we do, um, well, I'm about to answer again how we do it. So you're, you're asking from a teammate's perspective, is that right? Or so when you're, if I'm a founder looking to, you know, bring on and move into a more distributed team, yeah. how do I actually functionally make it happen? I can yeah. say that I want to make sure that people are empowered, but how do you really empower them to make the decisions? Yeah. How do you, how do you do that? Trust, mm -hmm. uh, just over, over index on trust from day one, uh, default position with your teammates has to be extraordinary trust. If you don't have that, then you've, you've undermined the keystone. Um, mm -hmm. you can't build a distributed asynchronous team without a strong lattice work of trust for across mm -hmm. every now, every node on your team. You know, mm -hmm. so we think about ourselves not as, uh, you know, you try to do an org chart for uh, for a team like this. We think of ourselves as a team of teams, um, and uh, what we have to do is just make sure that everyone, you know, again, they know the operating procedures, uh, they know the high level mission, and and then we just kind of step back and say, like, I'm going to define the how and the or not the how. I'm going to define the what. Mm -hmm. These are driven by the board. Uh, you have the autonomy. You have a credit card from day one with you know pretty high spending limit, no matter your role. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you're, you have decision-making power uh, to just go and do and mm -hmm. fail. And it's important that we, we clarify also, you know, like when with trust, you have to communicate, hey, a 10 to 30% error rate's fine. You know, like, and we have to really let them know t you can take risks, you won't be punished for risks. And so it's not just that trust, but also like the psychological safety. Mm -hmm. uh, am I gonna be punished for, for trying to, you know, try new things? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then, I guess my other question, I guess, well, Clay, I, do you want to? Yeah, I, I have one question. Um, that is really interesting just because you are such a global team, uh, very dispersed. What does hiring look like when you need to hire someone in a different country? Yeah. You know, the culture of that different country, the regulation in that different country, what does that look like? Yeah, there's no standard answer here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it varies wild, uh, pretty wildly uh, mm -hmm. across our markets. You know, we're mostly looking looking at sub-Saharan Africa for now, with South Asia as kind of the next phase. Um, and uh, you've got you know hundreds and, and even a few thousand kind of languages and cultures, fifty plus countries, highly fragmented. Um, so what we have to do is know who we are uh, and communicate, you know, who we are as a team and, and the values that we're going to live by. And, and that's kind of the constant in that process. And then we're trying to recruit mostly through referral and in, in developer communities, uh, in, you know, Lagos, Accra, Nairobi, Kampala, Cape Town. And the way that we're able to do that, that's maybe a little unique is that we, the, the founding team and our early hires, we've all been plugged into the kind of the tech scene across 
sub-Saharan Africa for many years. So we're already in those tight communities. And those tight communities have started um, bridging the continent. So you'll see the mm -hmm. West African FinTech WhatsApp group, you know, starting to debate the Kenyans on, the, <laughs> on their WhatsApp group. Uh, and so there's this merging happening. And, and we, we kind of, because we've been watching that for so many years, we have a sense of who kind of the influencers are, who the great developers are, uh, and we've just been keeping a list. I guess to that point as well, um, what do you see as the future of financial systems in the developing countries in Africa? Uh, just because they're very different, but you know, technology has been a great connector in sorts. So uh, are you pretty bullish on the Africa market as, a, as it relates to fintech? Oh my gosh, I am not the only one. Okay, uh, yeah. Partech Partners 2018 funding report for Africa was over a billion dollars of venture went into African tech. 500 million plus of that was fintech. So fintech is kind of the main use case. Uh, just in the last few weeks, uh, China has been dumping money into Nigerian fintech. Uh, Visa put $200 million into Interswitch, which is on path to uh, IPO on the London Stock Exchange. Um, the I've been working in this sector for a little over a decade. 2018 was the inflection point, in my opinion, because we're seeing the right convergence of uh, 618 active tech hubs, you know, billion plus in venture coming in, um, Google Launchpad accelerators, uh, you're getting new seed funds. Uh, they're really the enabling ecosystem is coming together. Uh, I think I'm not answering your question though. No, that's perfect. That's perfect. I was going to even do a follow up as well. Like, what is the adoption? Yeah. What is the, uh, from the end user's perspective? I'm assuming they find you from your marketing outreach. And has the adoption been pretty? pretty easy to onboard a new client, even though, you know, it's a different language and, and everything. Yeah. So we don't, the end user uh, doesn't know we exist. So okay. we only sell to the developer, the developer bakes us into their app and the end user only sees that developer's app. Um, so, so we kind of, we, mm -hmm. we don't have that, that issue as much. We, we have to focus on localizing mostly right now, everything's in English, which only covers Anglophone Africa. So next is French then you know, Portuguese, Arabic, you kind of rank order the languages. Um, localizing to the currencies took a long time. Uh, there's a lot of nuance there. Um, but uh, I think I've, I've, again, I've lost No, that's, that's great. That's great. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. I, that would be really tough too, because like you said, there's 50 countries. I'm sure there's a, that means there's probably at least 50 currencies. There's probably still a lot of you know, European and the US dollar and everything as well there too. How do you manage all that? Like, I mean, do you have to manage all that as well, or do the and the developers have to do that? That's yeah, kind of their problem. The latter. So, <laughs> so happily, the approach that we've taken is that you can use our APIs to automate any of those currency or transaction flows, regardless of currency. It really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, we, you know, this is kind of like an edge case as we were building. Say, if you're building for Zimbabwe, you need your SDK to support uh, up to seven currencies just for one market. Um, from day one, because that's a multi-currency market mm -hmm. after they had hyperinflation. Yeah. Um, so uh, that, that's something we have to pay attention to. But it's not it's not super hard to localize. Uh, most um, kind of the lingua franca that, we, that we've seen in the developer communities is English. Mm -hmm. um, they're all reading Stack Overflow. They're all on Quora. I mean, it's amazing how, how as a subculture, uh, how similar developers are from one market to another. So, we, so that's not such a big lift for us. Interesting. That's awesome. Um, I did want to kind of go back to the culture of your company because I feel like with your company being su having such a social impact, that has to drive a lot of your culture and your values. Could you speak to you know your company's values? You said that they know kind of who we are based on being there for so long. 
you know, what are those values that attract people to your company, to your company? Yeah, don't laugh. <laughs> our, our mission is verbatim build an inclusive internet. Uh, that's a long way from where we're starting, which is making local payment infrastructure accessible to developers so they can build for the world around them. The, the driver for us is that we are concerned the world as it may become is one in which four or five companies control every app in your pocket mm -hmm. um, at the exclusion of local innovation. And so you'll, you'll see the WeChats and the WhatsApps really dominating in every market to the exclusion of the local entrepreneur. So you won't have you know, the Paytm of Malawi, you'll just have Paytm come to Malawi. Um, and mm -hmm. that world is really exclusive uh, and, and it's not representative of kind of the richness of these cultures. Uh, and so the world as it ought to be, in our opinion, is one where you can build for the world around you. I keep saying that phrase. Mm -hmm. It's literally building mm -hmm. for your own market because mm -hmm. you know what's best for your market. Yeah. Right now that can't happen and that's just an injustice. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's really interesting because, I mean, you know, just pushing whatever there is like the WhatsApp of, you know, it, to make it WhatsApp Kenya or whatever it is, it may not take into account a lot of what's really going on the ground and yeah. be adapted to the best user interface for the people there. Yeah. So having that innovation come from around you is going to make it much more better user interface for you or user experience for you. Yeah. That's and, really. And an add on to that, it's the Lexus and the Olive Tree concept. Globalization sterilizes culture. Mm -hmm. You know, KFC's KFC everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so if we don't enable the long tail of local innovation, you don't get the long tail use cases and you just preclude massive parts of the market. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, well, is there a piece of advice then that you would give to someone who is looking to move into a role in tech that maybe isn't a traditional industry? I don't know if you have a lot of hires like that, but as a founder, you know, or as a CEO, what... What is it that you look for out of people when you're hiring them that don't have that prior tech experience? Because I'm sure that you run into that. Yeah, I don't have that prior tech experience. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm the CEO of a tech company and I, I had a you know, liberal arts degree. So um, <laughs> take that for what yeah. you will. You know, mm -hmm. I don't think the, the lack of direct experience is a non-starter. Um, we, when we're hiring, we're not looking at where you went to college. We're not looking at, you know, how many years you've been. We're, we're looking for attitude. We're looking for ability. And we're looking for people that we can help grow over 10 years. Um, so we're, we're looking for people that we can grow with. And attitude and culture fit, value fit, not mm -hmm. just culture fit, value fit is going to be the main driver of that. Um, so we, we'll pull from everywhere. Uh, we mm -hmm. don't, um, and this is, you know, I'm not, you're asking for general advice. And mm -hmm. I'm giving you a very specific answer in mm -hmm. our case we're open to a worker from anywhere, uh, so long as they they're aligned with our values and they can they can you know work plug it plug into our team work well with us and help us hit our goals. That's not true for everyone, mm -hmm. um, but I do think with the distributed teams that does seem more common. Based, but I don't have the data on that. That's mm -hmm. just anecdotal. Interesting. Well, um, anything else, Clay? Uh, maybe for the listener, where where could they get more information on Hover? Yeah, thank you, Clay. Yes. <laughs> uh, Hover, the website is usehover, U-S-E-H-O-V-E-R.com. Uh, and my email is ben at usehover.com. Awesome. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. If you have any thoughts or feedback on the conversation with Ben Lyon, feel free to let us know in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, to be among the first to hear the stories about entrepreneurs, investors, and other tech leaders in areas outside of Silicon Valley, subscribe to us on iTunes at powdercake.com forward slash iTunes. We'll catch you next time on Powder Cake Igniting Startups.